Pete said, over the last four weeks, we've been in this series called Rebuilders. Um, and that's basically been looking at the first half of the book of Nehemiah, um, which is about how the Israelites who've been exiled from their land were coming back to their land to rebuild Jerusalem. Um, but I don't know about you, but I've had moments over the last four weeks where I've kind of questioned, like, what are we even looking to rebuild? Because I think this tremor and this earthquake of COVID and all the other things that we've been going through over the past season um, have really shaken us. They've shaken us, obviously, as a country, as a nation, but they've also shaken us into our very beings. And what I want to say from the outset is this isn't like a rally cry of let's rebuild the city, let's rebuild London, let's rebuild King's Cross. Of course, those things are on our hearts and we want to intercede for those things in prayer. But primarily, we want to be looking at where in our lives might God want to bring restoration and hope and rebuild in us. Because in these moments where the tremors, they might feel like they're about to come again, with not knowing what's going to happen next week and some of the news that might come, those tremors have gone into our very beings. And where maybe faith that we held, we thought we held strong, has been shaken, or maybe faith that was just hanging on by a tiny thread has felt like it's been completely cut off. Or things that we held secure that we thought were secure and could never be moved have felt like they've been shaken. And so we want to bring those things before the Lord And we want to ask him that he would move by his spirit in our lives. So today we're going to be focusing on Nehemiah 3. And I'm not going to um, give massive teaching into the history. If you want to go back, Anna and Pete have both done amazing talks over the last couple of weeks um, about kind of giving some context to what was happening. Um, I just want to speak a little bit from the heart today, but I will give a bit of context. If you haven't been here over the last two weeks or if you're new or if you've just tuned in for the first time today on the live stream, just so that you have a general sense of um, why they're building walls, which is basically, as I said, the um, Israelites, who are the people of God, in the Old Testament, they had been in captivity. They had been exiled from their land, and they were finally given the chance to come back. They were coming back to the city of Jerusalem, which was particularly important in their faith because that was the place where the presence of God dwelled. And so they come back, and led by Nehemiah and some other people, they are are called by the Lord to rebuild the ruins, to rebuild the walls, physically rebuild the city and the gates um, so that they can be protected and so they can come together once again. Um, to worship God as a people. Um, And I'm not going to waste our times this morning by reading Nehemiah 3. If you've ever read it, um, it basically is a list of names. So it's, you know, so-and-so built the wall here, and then next to him, so-and-so built the wall here, and then this person built a gate. So it's not, I mean, go in your own time and read it, but um, we're not going to use our time today to read the whole of chapter 3. But I will pick out just a couple of verses as we go along. Um, And I just want to make two really simple points. I'm going to just offer two simple thoughts to you this morning. Firstly, I want to ask us, where are we truly at this morning? And secondly, I want to remind us that we truly are all in it together. And that as we look to our left and we look to our right, we can be encouraged by the community that we're part of. But before we actually get to Nehemiah, I want to um, talk just briefly about one of my, um, my personal heroes, Michelle Obama. I'm gonna, let's just look at her for a second. Are there any other fangirls or fanboys in the house? Anyone read that? Yes, I knew I'd have some friends. I just love her. Just, I mean, look at her. Um, we'll just leave her there for a moment. But anyway, she wrote this book last year. This is one of the best books, if not the best book I read last year, um, called Becoming. And when she was on the press trail for Becoming, I watched a lot of the interviews. Um, 
that she did for it. And she was often asked about where the title of the book, where the name came from, Becoming. And she talks about how she feels like one of the most unhelpful questions that we ask young people or children or even just generally is like, who do you want to be when you're older? And she says it gives this idea or this like thought that becoming, being something is this like finite thing. It's this destination that we get to. Where do you want to get to? Where do you want to find yourself? But instead, becoming, that term of becoming, gives us this idea and reminds us that actually we're evolving. We're constantly moving and we're on this journey to find out more about who we are and where God has placed us. And in the preface of the book, she talks about how when her family had just left the White House, so for those of you who don't know, her husband was the president of the, US, the United States for eight years. Um, so they had left the White House and they had moved for the first time into like their family home in Washington, D.C., um, and she talks about how it's like she's got a door and a doorbell for the first time. She's very excited. She can open a window without someone, you know, like triggering an alarm. Um, and she finds herself at home alone for the first time, alone from security guards, but also like Barack is traveling and um, Malia is on her gap year and Sasha's out with her friends. I know all the names. And she's just home with her two dogs, Bo and Sunny. Um, and um, she decides to go downstairs and does what we all do every day, make herself something to eat, which to her is like going into a kitchen and opening a cupboard and being able to like make herself a cheese toasty without someone being like, ma'am, can I do that for you? Let me help you. Do my American accent. Um, so she goes downstairs and she makes herself this cheese toasty and she takes it outside with the dogs and she sits outside in the garden and she just, yeah, has this moment of realizing, gosh, I'm on my own for the first time. And she can hear these like dogs like barking in the distance and her dogs that she's just like, what the hell is that? Like, and she's like, guys, we're in the real world now. There are other dogs. Like they've just never like heard other dogs from the White House. Um, and she has this moment where she sits there with her cheese toasty and she just realizes that she hasn't had a chance to reflect on the crazy journey of not only the past eight years of the presidency, but also of this massive transition that they've just gone through, of going from this crazy life and finding themselves in a, now in a new life. And she talks about how, like, there's this time when she says to her chief of staff, who's, like, one of her best friends, um, I'd love to go to Prague one day. And her chief of staff's like, you've, li you've been to Prague. We were there. And they have this full-on argument where Michelle's like, I've never been to Prague. I would remember. And her chief of staff's like, it's not until she shows her a picture of her in Prague that she's like, I've been to Prague. But the point is, she's it was like such a breakneck speed in which they were living. And there was this, like, whirlwind around them that they just never had a chance to actually stop and realize, like, where are we? Where have I got to? And who am I becoming on that journey? And this is the moment that I wonder whether the Lord is inviting us into this morning, to have our own toast moments. Because here's the simple truth. If we don't know where we truly are in this moment, and if we can't bring that before the Lord and bring that before others in our community, then how can we ever know where we might be being called to step out into next? How can we even consider taking the next step if we're not sure even where we currently are? And so admittedly, very tenuously, we're going to go back to Nehemiah 3 off the back of that. But the thing that stood out to me when I was reading Nehemiah 3 was where they all started the rebuilding from. And they start the rebuilding from right in front of their own houses. So I've just picked out a few verses which are going to come up for us to read along. So these are just a couple of examples. Adjoining this, Jedediah, son of Haramph, made a repairs opposite his house. And Hattush, son of Hashir. I mean, this is the other reason I didn't want to read out the whole chapter. It's full of names like this. 
made repairs next to him. Beyond them, Benjamin and Hashab made repairs in front of their house. And next to them, Azariah, son of Masiah, the son of Ananiah, made repairs beside his house. Above the horse gate, the priests made repairs, each in front of his own house. Next to them, Zadok, son of Immer, made repairs opposite his house. Next to him, Hananiah, son of Shelemiah, and Hanan, the sixth son of Zalaf, repaired another section. And next to him, Meshulam, son of Berechiah, made repairs opposite his living quarters. See, they don't travel halfway across the city to reach some destination in which where they started the rebuilding. They stepped out of their front doors and they started in front of their houses, right where they had been positioned. And I wonder whether in this season the Lord is calling us individually, but also as a community, to step further in. To step further into his purposes and plans for us and for his world. But in order to do that, we need to know where we've been positioned. Where we find ourselves in this moment. And we need to be brutally honest. I'm not talking about, you know, where are you located geographically. I'm talking about where are you located emotionally, spiritually, mentally. The Lord is asking those hard questions. How are you really doing? How did you get here? What are you grieving? What are you disappointed about? Where are you finding joy? How have you got here? I wonder if he's asking us to take this moment to stop and to take in our surroundings, to assess where we are, to reorientate ourselves. Where is our house in the middle of this storm? Because knowing our stories, knowing where we've come from, involves taking the time to look back, to reflect over maybe our lives if we haven't done that before, but particularly I would encourage you over the last seven months or so. The things that have led us into this moment right now. And I feel like this is kind of like one of those moments where it's like the Lord is saying, don't miss this moment. Don't miss what I'm wanting to do in and through you in this moment. Examining the patterns that we've created, maybe some of the habits that we've got into. But most importantly, also seeing where God has been at work. Where we can find him at work in our lives. Because he has been at work, even if it feels like sometimes it hasn't. And as we look back over those moments, those significant moments, the joys, the griefs, the disappointments, the change, we begin to recognize and process that and bring our whole selves, bring our whole stories before God and bring those things before him that have probably impacted us significantly, but probably also continue to shape us where we find ourselves right now. And as I've been thinking about this over the past week particularly, I've been asking the Lord that question, like, what are the things in my life that you want to shed your light onto? And I think for me, like many of us, there's been so much that has just been thrown up in the air, but um, I'm, I'm pregnant, if that's not obvious from my oversized um, jumper. But um, being pregnant in a pandemic is not, not the one. Um, I think being preg- pregnant at any time is quite the roller coaster with like the hormones and the adapting and all of that. But um, particularly in the middle of a pandemic when things are shut down immediately and we found out we we're pregnant like literally as lockdown happens. So two extremely major life events coinciding almost to the day. Um, and it was such a challenge just like not having friends and family like physically close to be able to process those thoughts with those emotions like process the impact of what our lives were going to look like over the last next few months but also not be able to like celebrate with friends and family you know like telling people over zoom there's I don't know sometimes there's just that bit of a delay so we're like 
we're pregnant. Yeah, like, you know, it's like, oh, okay, like, I hope that wasn't, like, no excitement, it was just the delay. Um, and not being able to hug our families and, like, raise a glass and whatever, and we've obviously been able to do that since, but just in those first few months, like, not being able to share that with friends and family, like, close by was such a challenge for us. And then particularly also, um, like, the scans and the appointments. So my husband, Colin, hasn't been able to come to any of our scans. I had my first scan, like, in the depths of lockdown. Um, and I hate hospitals and, like, medical anything at the best of times. So, like, having to put on a mask and, like, leave Colin at the hospital door and, like, walk into the hospital on my own for something that should have been, you know, this big moment in our lives together. And him miss out on that and me have to do that on my own. And every appointment since... Um, has just been so sad and like not being able to share those things together and with our with our like friends and family has just been so sad and like disappointing as I look back and even you know looking forward I'm um, scarily close now to um, having to give birth and um, that's like you know uncertain at the best of times but particularly like not knowing what that will really look like and what the hospital will be like and whatever um, and going to appointments that yeah, I've got one tomorrow and like I have to go to that on my own again and you know as I like have reflected on those things and I felt Jesus like shine his light on those things I encountered him in those moments again as I began to bring those things before him and experience that disappointment mixed with the joy mixed with the excitement and all the other things that go along with that I experienced his presence afresh and I encountered him in those moments and that's not to say that like the disappointment was taken away or the fear has gone or the nerves about what might be to come has just been eradicated but I did meet him in that moment. And I feel like he wants to inv invite us all individually into our own moments of that, to look back over our story of the last little while and to bring those things before him in our vulnerability, in our weakness, and say, this is who I am and where I find myself. Lord, would you have your way in me and would you meet me in that? And this is the whole heart of um, a pattern, which is a tool that we use here at KXC. If you're, again, if you're new, um, you might not have heard of it before. It's um, a discipleship tool that we use, groups of threes and fours, where we encourage people to come together and contend for their lives to look like lives of Jesus. And at the heart of pattern is this whole idea of sharing your story, reflecting on your story, the highs, the lows, and everything in between, and where God's been at work, and then bringing that before him. But then also bringing that before your pattern group, before those three other people, and asking for prayer and bringing people into that. Because as we do that, we're drawn together more closely in community, one of the things that we were created for. And we see truly, we're like able to have faith stirred up as we hear of what God has been doing in other people's lives. And so I'd really encourage you to take some time out over the next little while to process and to reflect on your story. And then if you aren't in a pattern group to join one or if you are in one but maybe haven't met for a while to reconnect and in your pattern groups to share your stories again of the last season and to contend for each other for all that God wants to do in your lives. Because that thing of community, as we choose to share our celebrations and our disappointments and the things that have shaped us, it draws us closer together. And that's the second thing I just want to pick out of Nehemiah chapter 3, is how it took everyone stepping out of their houses together for that greater calling that God had put on them to rebuild the city. For them, that call was to rebuild the city in that moment, but for us, it might look different. But what it is, is that he's calling us all to play our part and that there is a part for all of us to play. We are all included. 
And again, I'm not going to read it all out, but um, I've picked out just a couple of verses there because across the whole chapter, we see over 43 different like people groups or people names um, of different people who rebuilt the walls. So here we've got um, from chapter eight onwards, Uziel, son of Hariah, one of the goldsmiths repaired the next section. And Hananiah, one of the perfume makers, made repairs next to that. They restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. Rephariah, son of Hur, ruler of a half district of Jerusalem, repaired the next section. Adjoining this, Jedidiah, son of Haramph, made repairs across his house, and Hattush, son of what's that one again? Hashabaniah, made repairs next to him. Malchiah, son of Haram, and Hashab, son of Patha, Moab, repaired another section, and the Tower of the Ovens. Shalem, son of Haloesh, ruler of a half district of Jerusalem, repaired the next section with the help of his daughters. And what's fascinating, even just in this section, but when you read the whole chapters, you realize there are no professional builders or carpenters or plumbers or whatever other professions among them. Even just here, we've got a goldsmith, a perfume maker, a civil governor. In other sections, we hear about priests and noblemen. We hear about the poor and the rich putting their hand to the job side by side. They couldn't have been more mismatched for the job. I don't know what a perfume maker knows about building a wall and how they would have built the wall, but there's no division and distinction in what God was calling them to. They all do their piece in rebuilding, and as they look to their left and they look to their right, they see someone else playing their part, doing their small part in the overall thing that God had called them to do. And this is a picture of the church. This is a picture of the community that we're part of. Everyone is needed and everyone is included. They're all playing their specific part that has been asked of them. And in this moment, it doesn't matter, like I said, what the skill sets are or what the giftings are. What matters is that they are a totally random group of people who have chosen to follow after God together and to play their part. Romans 12 tells us that we're the body of Christ. It's this image of like being part of a greater whole and being able to rely and lean on the other parts when we're feeling weak and be able to be strong and bring strength for the parts that need to lean on us when we're in that place of strength. But most importantly, to just say, count me in. Whatever that looks like, I don't know what that will look like, but count me in. One of my, I'm giving all the book recommendations today. One of my other uh, spirit, well, she's a spiritual hero of mine, is Corrie ten Boom. And if you've never read this book, The Hiding Place, um, or never heard of her, um, she's an incredible woman. And she actually died on the same day that she was born, 15th of April, which I, I just thought was an interesting fact. Um, but she basically was um, part of the resistance movement in the Netherlands. She lived in Harlem with her um, sister, unmarried sister. She was unmarried herself and with her elderly father. And when the... Nazis invaded and um, began kind of herding up Jews. She and her sister and her dad just began to, well, basically fell into kind of resistance. And they ended up hiding a load of Jews in a hiding place in their house and actually led through to her ending up in a concentration camp and um, losing her family members. But the point that I kind of took away from reading this again was she didn't plan to be part of some big resistance. She didn't know what God was calling her into, but what she did was she joined with her wider community and she trusted God. And I just want to read an extract. And at this moment, she's basically, she's just helped a couple of Jews who have just ended up being sent to her house. And she's helped them basically just with some admin. It's like right at the beginning and with some ration books. And this is her reflecting on realizing that what and how God might be calling her to be involved. 
For meanwhile, in the weeks since Mrs. Kleermacher's unexpected visit, a great deal had happened at the Bayer, and the Bayer is their home where they live. Supplied with ration cards, Mrs. Clearmaker and the elderly couple, and the next arrivals and the next, had found homes in safer locations. But still, the hunted people kept coming, and the needs were often more complicated than ration cards and addresses. If a Jewish woman became pregnant, where could she go to have her baby? If a Jew in hiding died, how could he be buried? Develop your own sources, Wilhelmer said. And from that moment, that Fred Kunstra's name had popped into my mind, an uncanny realization had been growing in me. We were friends with half of Harlem. We knew nurses in the maternity hospital. We knew clerks in the records office. We knew someone in every business and city, service in the city. We didn't know, of course, the political views of all these people, but, and here I felt a strange leaping of my heart, God did. My job was simply to follow his leading one step at a time, holding every decision up to him in prayer. I knew I was not clever or subtle or sophisticated. If the Bayer was becoming a meeting place for need and supply, it was through some strategy far higher than my own. My job was simply to follow his leading one step at a time, holding every decision up to him in prayer. I knew I was not clever or subtle or sophisticated. We might not feel like we're clever or subtle or sophisticated. We might be perfume makers and goldsmiths. We might feel weak and broken and poor. But all he asks of us in this moment is to bring ourselves fully honestly, fully openly to him. And to bring our lives before him, holding up every decision to him in prayer and trusting him with whatever that next step might be. To look to our left, to look to our right, to see the community that we've been called into to do this together. And what that would actually look like for each of us in the room will be completely different. And only you can ask the Lord what that next step, so to speak, is. You know, for some of us, this might literally be your first time at KXC or your first time tuning into the live stream. And this is the first time you've heard about Jesus. And he's calling you, he's drawing him to yourself. And that might just be him asking you to take that next step. For others of us, it's him calling us into just experiencing a greater level of his love or his joy or his peace again. For others of us, the talk of even rebuilding anything might feel unbelievably overwhelming. And all it is, it's that courage to say, I trust you, Lord, like count me in. I don't know what I have to offer and I don't know what I can do in this moment, but I trust that you want me to count, be, count myself in. And for others of us, it might actually be something really practical. The Lord might have placed something on your heart and been speaking to you over the last couple of weeks about some way in which he wants you to actually take an action. It will be different for each of us. And each of us need to do the work for ourselves of coming before the Lord and asking him to speak to us. Because whatever it is, I assure you, he is on the move. This is the good news of the gospel, both in your life, in the lives of those around you, and in the world around that he created. And ultimately, the story of Nehemiah is our story. It's a story of a broken people who have been brought home, who have come home, and they might be standing in the rubbles, but they've got a God of hope. And they find God and they find home with each other. And this is the story that we're drawn into. The story of a God who is reconciling humanity to himself. Who from the garden where we chose separation has been on a redemptive mission to reconcile ourselves to him. 
the God who sent his own son, his self revealed in human form, in fragile human form, Jesus who led the perfect life free of sin, who chose to go to the cross, who chose to give up his life so that we might find reconciliation with God. Jesus who on the third day rose to life again, who was risen by the Father and through whose resurrection death was beaten once and for all. Jesus, who fulfilled God's plan of reconciliation and redemption for you and for me. This is the God who reaches his hand out. This is the God who reaches his hand out to you this morning and says, just give yourself to me. It doesn't matter where you find yourself. All your vulnerabilities, just place yourself in front of me. I want to sweep you up into my plan of love and life. And Jesus is our solid rock, the one on whom we can put our eyes In the storm, in the rubble, he is the one who is consistent. And so this is the invitation this morning. The invitation to place ourselves fully and honestly in front of God. To take the time to reflect on our stories, who we truly are. To bring those parts of ourselves that maybe we want to look away from or we've avoided talking about or thinking about. But to bring them in front of God. In front of a God who invites us not only into community and love with him, but also with each other. And we can look to our left and look to our right. The gift of being in a room together, being on live stream and seeing each other over Zoom, reminding ourselves that we're not in this alone. But above all, the invitation to fix our eyes on Jesus afresh, to be reminded that he is the one who is on the move and he is the one who is sweeping us up into his purposes.